Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed podcast for Monday, February 7th, 2022. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we going to do today? Well, Joe, normally, as we have since October of 2019, we would be bringing you current events, analysis, takes on pop culture and policy, but today we're not going to do that. Today is our final episode of Adequately Informed on its regular schedule and its initial iteration, and we are going to take today to reminisce, to talk about the journey, what it's meant, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. So that's that's what today is. Yeah, we're doing a sports documentary on our program. Um, yeah, it's called uh, 29 for 29. <laughs> <laughs> well i turned 27 in a few days maybe it's 27 for 20 <laughs> so we have to make one of these for each of the 27 years because that was the original espn 30 for 30 thing was that they were going to make 30 documentaries and it was celebrating espn's 30th anniversary but then the the program was just so successful that they kept the 30 for 30 label even though there's vastly more than 30 of those documentaries right, now right but um you know even though um you know we're we're reminiscing here we're you know we're, we're still gonna take our philosophy we haven't we haven't ended our philosophy of um you know thinking in good faith trying to respect ideas from where they come from other viewpoints other people are valid um, so yeah, drop, but, but, um, maybe this won't be the only true chronicling of the adequately informed past. Maybe there's some other version of events that we don't understand between the yeah. two of us co-hosts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it will be entirely based on memory and memory is highly fungible. So yeah, yeah who knows what else is out there? We we remember the internal, but we don't remember the net effect, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess really, this is your opportunity to have your say in our adequately informed narrative, um, and then we never have to respond to it because the show's done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should have do done some forethought. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we we said we put out a call. We said you've got one last shot to get your viewer mail in and as far as i know no one took us up on it well yeah. some people reached out but not really like with questions yeah or stuff yeah. to address on air but we got we got some some kind words from some of our listeners yeah and you know i i think from i mean just on the onset everyone who's listening right now you know we've uh we really appreciate you listening and glad we could uh be part of your lives for the last two little over two years. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to call it four, even though we had only part of 2019 and only part of 2022. I'm calling it four years. We've existed in four years. Yes. Yes. And two decades. Yeah. So really <laughs> this show went on for 20 years. You know, it's can you imagine you scenario when where someone founds a business at like eleven fifty nine on New Year's Eve and closes the business at twelve oh one the next day, and then they they're like running ads like in our two decades of service to the community. Yeah, in our 
Met, no, make it 1999 and 2000. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this company has had two centuries as a pillar of this community. No, man. Go even bigger. This has had two millennium. Millennia. Oh, damn. I forgot what years were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's bump it up even higher. <laughs> do it. Do we have a fancy word for uh, 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 units of bi, bi-millennial? Um. Is that a, a I don't unit? Know. <laughs> it is now. Yeah, exists in in two biomillennials. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, October twenty nineteen. That's when we started. Man, what a different time that was. Oh my gosh, we had no concept of the pandemic. You know, this was before. All of the unrest of the last couple of years surrounding, you know, the George Floyd murder and around the election. I mean, things things were still a little bleak in October of 2019. I'm not trying to paint it as some prelapsarian utopia, but yeah, it was it was different. Well, remember 2019. I remember when that year was done that everyone was like, man, fuck that year. That year sucked. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> Let's we're behind it now. And now I can't even remember what sucked about 2019. Like true. I remember people saying that you're absolutely right. But yeah, it was the worst thing of 2019 was dwarfed by 80 things in January of 2020. Yeah. But (laughs) it just got crazy. You know, what's also crazy is I feel like in my memory, it feels like we did a fair amount of podcasting before the pandemic happened. And truth be told, um, you know, there, there have been fewer podcasts in non pandemic times than there have been podcasts in pandemic times. Wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, shit, you think about it, October, 2019, what we had like what four or five months until the pandemic really happened mm-hmm. and of course we were doing weekly then but even then that's like what for you know maybe 20 or so episodes in um and then we're on episode 84 now so so most of adequately informed has been chronicling times within the coronavirus pandemic which is interesting um yeah so our i I just looked this up episode 22 is titled live from quarantine so we had 21 episodes with not a care in the world yeah you know in a (laughs) pre-world uh we just kept talking about the democratic debates there we that was very big in the early times of our show yeah, we and, covered it extensively. Yeah, we did. And and now <laughs> I'm back, you know, I, I may have espoused this a bit of the mind back then, but but there's um looking back on it, at least with how um the gridlock and current conditions of American politics, um, you know, in group fighting over over some things within the nominating process almost feels like trivial. It's just like, (laughs) Oh man, we spent a lot of time litigating healthcare 
and whose vision of it was correct and nothing has really changed on healthcare. No, right? Like that's kind of the thing is that you can have Bernie say, I believe we should have Medicare for all blocked by the filibuster. And then Joe Biden will say, we need to strengthen Obamacare and have that blocked by the filibuster. And then Tim Ryan will be like, vote for me in Ohio. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone gets mad because Pete Buttigieg says, uh, vote for me and we can have <laughs> Medicare for all who want it voted down by the filibuster <laughs> like it was like you know it was, and you know before then it was kind of like an unprecedented um event where like a ton of major players within the democratic field were all basically supporting the thing but they couldn't all just go and i believe in bernie's proposal or and i believe in this proposal and they all yeah. get behind it it's like no i have to have my unique spin on this proposal this um, is booker care damn it it's yeah, new. yeah it's also been interesting to see elizabeth warren go from like the the woman who has a plan for that to kind of like i don't know weird populist agitator uh you know leftist agitist agitator kind of like in her speak it's like well, nobody He's, listened to her damn plan, so she's got to try something else. Yeah, I know. I, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, that that definitely has a kernel of truth, but it it's just interesting to see the person who goes from, like, maybe the forefront policy wonk of, you know, the entire Democratic Party to being like, these food prices are going up because corporations just got greedier. And it's like, I don't know if that tracks, but okay, interesting. But... Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about the Democratic debate <laughs> or yeah. you know, primary. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, it was political hobbyism before I knew what that was. Oh, yeah, um, we were definitely doing political hobbyism. Like, yeah, um, that was before it all like, I don't know, like. The pandemic added a level of seriousness to everything. Mm-hmm. And and I think we also just grew and the discourse and like information space around all this stuff changed. Because I think a lot of, um, you know, definitely like people like Ezra, you know, who we listen to and other people in that space, you know, they all kind of came to the conclusion. And it was like, what was all that for? You know, like... Yeah. What was what was all of that about? <laughs> like, yeah. what did and, we and gain Aton, from that? Well, what Aton Hirsch would tell you is that it's about fulfilling your own psychological needs to feel like someone who's engaged in politics. Now, I, I don't want to try to dunk on anyone here who may engage in politics at more of a distance, because I do think it's important to be form, informed whether or not your engagement runs that deep. But... You know, I, I just feel like for me personally, yeah, it it it's not enough to be just a guy who comments on things on a podcast. And I love the podcast, but I think that if I really want to step up, I need to go and do politics, you know? Yeah. 
And that's that's something, and maybe we're jumping ahead here too much, but I, I think that's hopefully been something that's been a really cool growth area for you, Joe, because you have stepped up and are building the seeds of some real political power within our community of Galesburg. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, I, I won't speak specifically to what, you know, is going on in Galesburg right now. We could do that a little bit later, but... Yeah, definitely, um, you know, um, there are there is a select number of people out there where talking about politics is is in some form doing politics. And that's basically anyone who is able to like change has a platform to change mass opinion or or sway mass opinion or get the ear of decision makers and um i i would say maybe conclusively that this program has not done politics under that rubric (laughs) no Um, it has not now now if you're someone like matthew iglesias um your writings is doing politics um, it's an arm of it. But then for the vast, 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 vast majority of us tweeting and, um, you know, you know, performing politics isn't really much doing politics. Um, yeah. Isn't consumption much doing- is not enough. Yeah. Um, so um, I've and I've definitely learned that from, uh, you know, some of my work, you know, it's like. Once you get, um, you know, at the local level, if you go and you learn some of the stuff and you show up, I mean, it sounds like a cliche what people say, but it's actually very true that um, you can have a lot of effect at the local level or way just way more. Like even if you don't necessarily... um, even if you don't necessarily change something outright, um, you you definitely have more sway than in national politics. You know, I'm almost to the point where I'm just like disinterested in national politics because it's like, well, you know, I have my beliefs. I will generally exercise who I can vote for um, along those principles and I want the things that I, you know, want changed, but, um, you know, it, 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 it's almost like what, what's, what, what am I doing getting all worked up about national politics? Um, mm-hmm. because there's not a whole lot I can do about it other than vote. And sometimes I can voice my opinion. And if I really wanted to make something known, I would maybe like write a handwritten letter to like a state office or, you know, some politician. But other than that, I'm not really changing anything by whatever. Um, You know, it's okay to engage in an idea space, but, you know, it's like, man, you know, I, 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 yeah, yeah, it's, it's just different, a new perspective on it all. Yeah. So that, I think, is a good encapsulation of what we learned from those early eras of the show. And then then the pandemic hit and looking through our episodes, it's definitely clear that we 
focused highly on the pandemic. I mean, it makes sense. It was a society reshaping event that we are still living through. You know, I, yeah. I feel mostly comfortable to resume most activities now that I'm vaccinated, boosted, and I've got my cane and 95 masks. But it is still going on. And yeah. our show reflected that for the vast <laughs> majority of its run, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... um. <laughs> Yeah, there were a few episodes there where we talked a lot about the pandemic. Like, that was, like, the whole episode of a few of them. And, you know, it, I mean, we definitely felt like we had a place for it because it was like, you know, this is kind of a public policy, public health thing, and we're kind of policy, public health. You know, we don't really, we're not fully public health, but, you know, generalist enough to be able to talk mm-hmm. about it. So... But man, you know, I'm looking at this one episode, episode 30, 90K and still no plan. Um, <laughs> you know, the the death toll has gone up 10 times since that that episode has happened. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's different. I mean, but then also just the the facts of the the pandemic have also changed. So and, you know, we we there are debates out there of, you know um you know how how to keep doing these things and even just a couple episodes we did one of those um mm-hmm. you know what to consider what level of risk do you plan for you know how do you um you know you know navigate this space but it's we're definitely in a different space than it was in the early days but it's just crazy to see you know what we were talking about back then yeah, so I believe now would be a good time, Joe, to go through adequately informed top ten episodes of all time. Top ready ten for episodes. Yeah, let me yeah. pull up pull up the list. I've got the list pulled up. So if you're if you're cool with that, I got all I got right. the list. Yeah. All right. All right. So number um, ten. Yeah, these are voted by you by listening to them or not. Um. So we'll yeah we'll talk about the episode. And uh, maybe reflect on these, our 10 most popular episodes. So number 10 was episode 69, Biles and Biden both withdraw. This is one that we came out with in August of last year, around the time of the Olympics that had been postponed, as well as the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. And so it was that sort of dual political and also athletic... concept of withdrawal that we looked at yeah and that was something that i really liked about this episode i think was was the way that we kind of did try to draw these parallels between these disparate stories and ultimately unified them around the theme that sometimes the strongest thing you can do is to walk away instead of trying to fight a fight that's not going to be productive as exemplified both through the war in Afghanistan, as well as Simone Biles withdrawing from certain Olympic events because she was struggling with her mental health. So I'm, I'm glad that one made the top 10, Joe, because I, yeah. I enjoyed that one. And, you know, it may be interesting to do like a little um, just kind of like retrospective of where those things are at. I mean, like um, since the, you know, uh, Biles uh, withdrew she has come out and pretty forcefully said that you know it wasn't like 
um, you know, just nerves generally. It was like a technical, you know, like we had talked about before what she said, you know, they call the twisties, I guess. And it was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I just uh, wasn't able to do the gymnast body accounting essentially. And um, because that was messed up, you know, whatever, you know, she wasn't able to do it. So it was like, you know, we did so much stuff about, you know, talking about, oh, get her nerves together. So much discourse. And it was like, oh, hey, the, you know, it's just like couldn't corral the little part of the brain that is necessary to do the things that she did, you know, just wasn't working right then. And it's like, yeah, oh, <laughs> you know, lots of big deals were made about it when, you know, it, it feels a little bit simpler than everyone was making it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she has has moved on very well with her life. She still got medals from the Olympics to start. And then, you know, she embarked on this Gold Over America tour, which Lindsay and I saw. It was a fantastic evening of gymnastics, dance and inspiring positive messages so she's just fine and she's gonna be okay and that that makes me feel okay yeah and then also um biden um withdrawing from afghanistan you know um it's crazy how quickly that story left the limelight um even just a few days after it was done um it was crazy um you know, we're not getting updates on condition in Afghanistan. I mean, if you sought them out, you could get them, but it's not like it's not the hot goss anymore. Yeah, yeah. Now that it's done, it's just done. You know, it's not like um, oh, you know, people were agitating to keep it going, but once it's done, it's like no one's. Well, I'm sure there are some people, but there isn't a significant constituency to um hark to to like start it back up and mm-hmm. um so. plus we'll have our own war with russia very soon mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. you 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 in on this joe you know you know what i'm talking about i know what i'm t- i i know what's being talked about I, I i i just don't know what to think about it um um it's kind of crazy that russia is agitating to do this but then again, you know, they haven't been acting the most rational over the time. <laughs> um, yeah. So for anyone who's not sure, Russia is sort of we're getting satellite images that are showing Russian troop buildup at the Ukrainian border. And they've got troops stationed in Belarus. And so there are some within the national security community that are worried that a Russian invasion of Ukraine is imminent, which would prompt potentially a u.s military response so we're all we're all gonna watch this just see how it goes yeah well you know let's say they do try and invade i feel like probably the strongest response from the u.s would be to not fight the war prop up the ukraine or the Ukrainian army. That's an okay to use the, the in front of Ukraine. Um, <laughs> and, um, and really just try this. This would be a great campaign to get all the other nations in the area to get into NATO. 
and would probably prompt a lot of the nations in Europe to get serious about spending more on their military, which they have been pretty lax on for a lot of years. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, I I watched this uh, great analysis by Johnny Harris on YouTube about the whole situation, and um, he was essentially like, if Russia, you know, a few a week or so ago, Russia and all the nations were together in a summit that had been planned before all this Russia stuff. But, you know, it kind of became about the Russia stuff. And Russia basically came in and was like, hey, stop everything you're doing in Europe and like, you know, back off. And they were like, um, no, we're not going to back off. And then all the countries in Europe were like. You know, we were kind of trying to bounce between U.S. and Russia, but Russia, these demands were pretty stark. We're, we're not we're not on your side on that. Um, mm. and those were pretty bold. So um, it seems like most of Europe is on the U.S.'s side. And if Russia did invade Ukraine, then it really seems like they would um, show the real value of uh, people joining into NATO and they would have a real reason to join in instead of the kind of like past 30 years of post-Soviet life where it was like, eh, what does NATO do? I don't know. Russia's not really a threat. And then Russia <laughs> proves itself a threat. And then it's like, oh shit, we need to join NATO. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Anything else on uh, our 10th most popular episode all time? Uh, no, I think that's it from me. All right. So number and nine, I'm out. this is, <laughs> oh, oh, he's gone. Yeah. Oh no. I, I cut can't out do early. this alone. <laughs> I cut out, I cut out before I cried. <laughs> oh, um, but yes. So number nine, episode 61, the Israel Palestine conflict from May of 2021. So things were getting hot with Israel and Palestine. There was some some violence that was erupting, and Joe and I deep-dived, deep-dove. So we, we did a deep-dive into the history of the Israel-Palestine We dove into conflict. the droves. Yeah, we, we, we drove the car right to Israel. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this, <laughs> this was a, a big research episode for me. And I feel like it turned out well. It was just very information-heavy, so maybe that's... I'm a little surprised to see that it ended up resonating uh, so much relative to some of our other episodes, but it was one where I felt good about the research, if not the entertainment yeah. value. Well, yeah, I think I think it was happening, and there may have just been a bunch of people who, um, you know, just wanted to uh, get, you know, understand what's going on, and maybe they trusted us to maybe know what we're saying and be kind of fair-handed, because... The Israel-Palestinian conflict is something where um, there are a lot of people who have deeply biased opinions on it. And those, and not to say that some of those aren't justified, um, but as kind, it, it's hard to find true accounts from kind of a neutral observance. And I think we tried to provide that. Or, you know, at least fair to different viewpoints. So, um, but yeah, that's that was a difficult thing. And also interesting how it kind of dried up 
not long after it happened too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's my big thing is that obviously from one perspective, the occupation is not over and therefore this is a continuing issue. But in terms of the daily media ecosphere, it's gone. This did not explode into something that we feared it might, you know, again, not to, not to endorse the status quo, just out of hand, but we have at least reached a point where this is not burning up every single yeah. day. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it's also interesting. I, I remember some people were making the point. It was like, yeah, you know, the, the Israel Palestinian conflict, I mean, it is bad, but it's also like, there are a lot of conflicts in the world and why is it that we're expecting like everyone in the United States to or, you know, at least prominent figures to have true opinions on this? Like, you know, it's complicated and there's a lot of complicated conflicts out there. And, you know, um, it, it's just interesting how this is one through. I mean, albeit because we've had a special relationship with Israel over the years that you know we're all kind of forced to have an opinion on it yeah that's the thing i think is with the u.s relationship with israel we have to take very seriously the way that israel handles human rights because if there are things that we're not comfortable with we're complicit in that because of that tight bond yeah so yeah 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 so, number eight. Yeah, that, yeah number eight. What, what's number so eight, number, Evan? Number eight is episode four, going all the way back to November of 2019. Episode four, Hannibal Burris is a landlord. So we talked about the revelation that Hannibal Burris does own some rental properties. Yeah, he was uh, doing some as, agitating. <laughs> yeah, because it was about Bernie Sanders' rent control plan and... Uh, we also talked about value added tax and this was our first episode where we started talking about Trump directly um, yeah so yeah we, we all learned a little bit about rent control we learned that rent control is great for people who get it but then if you try to move into a market with rent control it raises all the rents for new or unoccupied units so maybe you know maybe not the greatest plan overall yeah it's and then a great that- plan if you want to specifically keep people in a neighborhood that's where prices are rising like that's that's what the t- policy toolkit is for you know hmm. um but but yeah shit we talked a lot about that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and also that value added yeah. tax was from that same episode very very wonky policy episode I, I learned a lot about VAT, and I think that was my segment, so I tried to tried to explain it as yeah. best I could. Well, and geez, that was from the early days where we showed up with four topics to talk about. God, how did we ever think that was sustainable? <laughs> well, it was the early days. We hadn't burned through all the things we wanted to talk about yet. So, yeah, we yeah. had like an intro, and then we each had a main, and then we had a, a little nightcap at the end. Um, you, yeah. you guys were really getting good bang for your free entertainment buck on on these old episodes, guys. Yeah, you didn't even know what you had. Yeah, 
Well, and also it just goes to show like, so this is part of, you know, adequately informed history is that part of the reason why we started this show was one, Evan and I, you know, we had pretty good conversations with each other that would go pretty long. And, you know, we felt they were valuable and, you know, thought maybe, uh, maybe other people will think, well, these were valuable, but also like when we started it, we were at a time where both of us just had a bunch of takes and we had no outlet for them. Um, yeah. We we were just kind of like building up takes and our body was like finding it, trying to find an outlet to get rid of them. Like, we need a steam valve to release all of these takes or they're going to blow. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> we had so many takes build up. Like we, we had so many takes, so many things that we wanted to talk about built up in the early days. Um, because we had gone so long without having an outlet for it. And and now it's like we've gotten to the end of it and we realize, oh, this is why, you know, creative projects don't go on for forever. Because you kind of run out of things to say. And even when we do have things to say, um, we currently have other outlets that seem to be a little bit better for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um I think another thing too about those early episodes is that they they felt very much like an extension of the conversations that we would have just at the at the Wendy's parking lot in Galesburg. This yeah. is um th- this is the true origin of adequately informed guys. Joe and I, you know, we went to high school together and there would be nights where we would just go hang out, go eat some Wendy's, and then, you know, you'd, you'd eat Wendy's in however long that takes, like 30 minutes. And then it would be time for Joe to drive me home because I don't have a car. And uh-huh. just every step along the way, we would, like, delay longer and longer. So we'd sit in the restaurant, we'd sit in Wendy's, just chatting about all the events of the world. And then we'd go into the car in the Wendy's parking lot and then chat for, you know, another hour. And then he would drive to my house and we'd sit in my driveway for another hour and a half. Yeah. And my mom's texting me like, why aren't you home? No, 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 no. And I'm just like, ah, I got to keep talking. This is worth it. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and, and so, my, yeah. And then the next day, my mom would ask me, you know, what did we talk about? I'm like, I don't know. And then she would ask me, a single basic fact about your current life. <laughs> and I would go, I don't know. We didn't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. It's always been a very ideas focused type of deal. And I think that's great, you know, and we do, I think, especially as we've gotten older, we've been better, better about, you know, checking in on the personal life, making yeah, sure everything yeah. is okay. But yeah, yeah d- dating back to those very early days when we were like, you know, 16 years old, it was about the Wendy's nugs and the meaning of life. And that's kind of been what this show has been. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's good stuff. Um, but what what's the next episode? What was the next episode we got some takes out on? All right, we're up to number seven all time, and this is episode six uh, from also November of 2019. Makes sense. Um, Bill Maher and Billionaires. So it looks like in this we covered Iowa's status as the first primary state, 
Bill Maher in general. I think we probably were dunking on Bill Maher. That sounds like something we would do. Yeah. And, and we should do case, it more. Yeah. We, yeah. Let, let's do it right now. Bill Maher is a smug asshole who is only at best a quarter as smart as he thinks he is. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm confident saying that. He's never going to fire back. He doesn't care. Yeah. 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 He, 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 he's. He's too chicken shit to take on the adequately informed audience. As, yeah, if as you are not ending. willing to debate, if you are not willing to debate any person at any time for any reason, you're a coward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how debates work. <laughs> and also, yeah. it's just another thing, too, is is something that I think I, a perspective that I have coming from the world of actual academic speech and debate is that debates don't mean anything without an adjudicator right unless there's one person or a panel of people who's going to say who won the debate it's really just two people saying their own opinions at each other and that's why i just feel like you know any type of televised debate a presidential debate or you know bill maher's going to debate somebody it's all just a farce really and i mean really if i mean it's up you know if it's not a person you know, out there, you know, deciding, then it's up to you to decide. And, you know, if you're not technical in the weeds of things, then, you know, you're, you're, you, you may not be getting a whole lot of mileage out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you just end up, yeah, siding with whatever you already agreed with and the skill of the debaters. And more importantly, the merits of the ideas don't end up mattering that much. Right. Right. It, it becomes about tactics, you know. Yeah, but, um, or just confirmation. But yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I remember, uh, you know, a big part of this was um, dunking on Bill Maher because he's kind of fat phobic or likes to shame uh, America for being overweight. And, you know, um, you know, I'm overweight and um, I've actually coming up here um pretty soon i'll be close i'll I'll be crossing 100 pounds lost um over the last seven months and i know Um, i said this before the before we were recording but just fantastic man that is wonderful thank you but part of my learning on this you know kind of coming through the journey is that like he places the blame at the individual Whereas I definitely believe that the blame is not at the individual, but these health organizations. And then, then I will also say the food manufacturers, but I mean, in some level, I tend to be a believer of don't hate the player, hate the game. And right. They wouldn't be doing it if they weren't, if there wasn't a margin to it, they're not, they're not nefarious. They just know that money can be made there. Right. They're, they know money can be made there and we allow them to make money there. If we yeah. don't want yes. them to be doing it, they're not going to voluntarily say no. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, so so if we want to actually do something about it, we have to do something about it. But um, I mean, I'll, I'll just make this super quick because I, I just feel like it's very important and, you know, a discovery that I've made. There are essentially three foods that end up leading to um, or greatly accelerate the path towards obesity and metabolic diseases such as diabetes, high heart rate, heart disease, fatty liver, all those kind of stuff. And if you can avoid these, 
using these three foods chronically, then you'll be greatly better off. And those are sugar. Um, you can still have some sugar, but don't use it chronically. Cut out the sodas. Try and have, you know, if you're going to have a dessert, have it maybe once a week. Um, if that, um, make it actually a treat. Um, the second food group is seed oils. So like vegetable oil, canola oil, uh, peanut oil, um, you know, all those kind of, they're very artificially made. They're essentially made in factories and your body doesn't really know how to process them and they're not natural to the human diet. Um, and then also thirdly to kind of a lesser extent, but also included, um, enriched flour. Um, it's just kind of en empty calories that don't have any nutritional value. Um, low moderate amounts is okay, but, but don't go too hard. But anyway, that's, I wanted to get that out there on the last episode, this thing that I found someday, I want to do a big writing exercise on it, but, um, that's the kind of groundwork that I have for now, but I will be there to buy the first copy of the book. It's coming and I'll sign it. Yes. I love signed <laughs> books. I really do. It's a tr true story about me. Yeah. I have a, uh. I have a book signed by John Green. Um, Anthropocene reviewed his last book and he signed every copy of the initial run. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so he did it actually did a video about it and he was like, yeah, you know, what's interesting is that an unsigned copy of this book is actually more rare than a signed book. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Because so. it really is about scarcity and not about the extra stroke of pen on the page. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I think that's uh, that's enough on Bill Maher. Um, just kind of. And I, I don't know, he, I, I, he's been doing some extra agitating lately, but I have decided not to pay attention to it. And I think it's great. Yeah. Choke it off. Choke off the oxygen. Yeah. Alrighty. What's the next one? Episode number six, our sixth most popular episode of all time is episode number three titled Zootopia, but without the zoo from October of 2019. We were, we were hitting some big ones already right off the bat. Yeah. Um, so this one is kind of a freewheeling conversation. I remember this because I talked about the video I watched, the 10 tips for better conversations. We talked about school lunch debt and then the bulk of the episode. And I think probably why this one resonated is because we had a more open-ended discussion of what our utopias would look like at least from my perspective drawn from Rutger Bregman's book Utopia for Realists in where he talked about the importance of knowing what you would want to do if you could do anything to build or rebuild a society and that this utopian thinking is not pie in the sky wishful ideas but it helps you order your pragmatic priorities and so I know that that is something that we both discussed in the episode and I, I think it was helpful for me to kind of clarify and strengthen my own ideas on what I want society to look like. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny now, now that I think about it, um, you know, um, at that time, my utopia would have been very macro heavy, you know, on the macro sense, what do we want our society to look at? But now, if I were to think about a utopia, I would definitely think of it much more at the micro level of the level of like what does my your town city. want to look yeah. like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's 
I, I've liked that. I've liked that. Um, you know, I think this is just a general theme of this, this episode, but us learning, you know, after doing this for a little while is that again, the big national politics are important, but, um, there's a lot of value to be found in the small level and, and a lot more meaning can be found. Um, so definitely recommend, but, um, yeah, good episode. I, I had to go and look because on our website, I, I hadn't put the description on the, the actual post, but it's in like the, the, um, Apple podcast version. So I had to go in <laughs> and check that, I, what the description was. So I forgot. It was like Zootopia, but without the zoo. I mean, I guess that's a, I mean, <laughs> it's the topia. Yeah. Atopia. <laughs> All right, so our fifth most popular episode of all time is episode nine, Mayor Pete Buttigieg from December of 2019. So we talked about a few things in here, that that creepy Peloton ad that was making the rounds several years ago, which has already escaped my memory. Um, Our first discussion of inflation, that has definitely not (laughs) gone away. And then... Well, uh, inflation was different then. The the inflation... Well, go ahead. Tell, Tell me about it. The inflation conversation was the opposite back then. So when we talked about inflation then, that was at the end of an era of extremely low inflation in the United States. One of the periods of time with the lowest inflation rates and basically being like, eh, you know, it doesn't seem like uh, we need to worry about this as much. And it turns out that it was mostly the set of circumstances and not kind of like some secular differences. Um, But we uh, definitely have inflation now. Um, It's not of the monetary kind. It's mostly because of our supply chains are unable to keep up. And there's actually way higher demand for goods than there had been even before the pandemic. So um, Mm -hmm. um, good old supply and demand can have, um, you know, effect affect inflation and what it shows is basically before the pandemic and before the you know the economy rebounded after the pandemic um there was just a dearth of demand like there wasn't enough demand and the the economy had more supply capacity than there was for demand now since we learned how to fight the last battles and through the pandemic recovery efforts we we successfully fought off the issues of the last recovery, which was the like decade long recovery. And we're already basically back to the point of where we were before the pandemic or getting pretty close. But now we're on the opposite side of the issue. Instead of having too much supply capacity and not enough demand, there's too much demand and not enough supply capacity. And um, so we're just in a completely flopped world for what it was looking in December, 2019. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that was definitely, I'm hopefully an interesting discussion. You all can go back and re-listen to it if you want. Yeah. Um, also mentioned talking about the movie The Irishman. You know, one of our famous, adequately informed movie reviews. We actually didn't do that many of them. But, yeah. You know, The Irishman was one of them. Oh, and, and that also was also before I moved from Kenosha, and like I, I went and saw that at his movie theater in a Chicago suburb. <laughs> yeah i guess that's another thing too is like the 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 shift that you have had joe has been kind of crazy yeah 
Yeah, I'm uh, living a different life now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, and this this also, you know, we talked about um, Pete Buttigieg, which was... Yeah, that was the, the centerpiece of the episode, yeah. And it was contentious. Um, it was... It was uh, kind of the only time we really tried to have a debate because we both had such different vantage points on his candidacy. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's, you know, it got heated and it felt justified in the moment. But then also, again, we're kind of looking back and like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, that that's the thing, though, is I feel like it's it's fitting that it is Buttigieg that had that effect on us, right? Because he, he's been kind of a through line in our podcast. He was just the mayor from South Bend who ran for president. And then we talked about the movie that was made about him. We extensively covered all of his campaign ideas. And now he's the secretary of transportation. And, and you know, he's not yeah. going anywhere because he just he won't go away. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he, he's been... If if part of this is to look back at the through lines of this show, I think Pete Buttigieg is one of them, one of the, our most reliable content generators. Him and BoJack Horseman, those are the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's next, Evan? All right, so the next episode is finally from a different era because I do like that there's some different eras represented on here. But episode four, the most, the fourth most popular episode in adequately informed history is episode 48, The Color of Law from February of 2021. And this was pretty much a single topic episode where we broke down Richard Rothstein's book, The Color of Law, which is a book that we've both read and profoundly affected both of us yeah. with an understanding of just how intentional racial segregation has been even after it was supposedly outlawed, even after housing was supposedly race blind, the way that different things from zoning policy to racial covenants to FHA loans have all conspired to segregate housing in this country long after we would have thought that was legally or socially acceptable. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it that book profoundly changed the my viewing of things and just had it it was a bombshell. It was a bombshell. I mean, it it really oh, just so brutal. Like, you know, I love a book where you take something that people kind of know and have some vague ideas about and then just put all the facts to it. And that 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 is what I love. When I when I'm able to find someone who takes a feeling that we have that's kind of vague or, you know, you don't have all the facts to it and then puts all the facts and figures to it, it's like, oh, God, give me that. Like, I want that. <laughs> yeah, so just some really, really affecting stuff in there from the way that interge intergenerational wealth was not allowed to be built by African-American families to the way that what's the story you like to tell about how families would have to double up on rooms and still end up paying more you you know oh, the story yeah, better yeah. than i did yeah 
Yeah, so people would have to, well, you know, the one of the key stories in the book was of a Chicago um, apartment building owner, and he lived right on the edge between a whites-only area and a blacks-only area, and he decided to change. Um, he had been renting to white people, but he decided to change to black people because they would pay four times more he could charge four times more for his units. And because the housing supply for black people was scarcer because yeah. places would not rent to them. Yeah. And because combined with having four times higher rent and probably making half the wages of the white people, then you get this scenario where the black people had to like put in so many people into a single apartment and all the adults working multiple jobs, just working at all times, just to be able to afford a place to live. And of course, that's going to change your, uh, you know, the social fabric. Um, mm -hmm. And then also still end up with no fruits of your labor. Like, yeah, getting no equity, no savings, just bare having to work your ass off just to be able to have the privilege to live, to be able to work your ass off. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, very, very eye-opening stuff, kind of um, early days of uh, Joe's city thinking um, helped <laughs> helped um, inspire some stuff there. So um, definitely a very good book. Um, yeah, fantastic book and... A good episode. I'm glad. I'm glad that that resonated enough to get so high on this list. Yeah. All right. What's well, uh, we're getting into the top three? What's number three, Evan? Top three. Number three is episode two. Too many debaters. This was our second episode of all time. October 2019. Just had no idea yet what we were in for, but we talked about the fighting words doctrine, which I remember I, I did a ton of research about uh, to learn. If it was actually legally defensible to punch Nazis just for having white supremacist white supremacist ideology, turns out it's not. You need fighting words need to be specific and directed, and you need an immediate reason to fear for your own danger. That was a whole discourse back in the day when people were just walking up and punching Richard Spencer in the face, which was funny, yeah. but not legally. Yeah, I forgot defensible. that as a. <laughs> Yeah, I, I forgot that as a discourse. Like, that, yeah. that feels such like a foreign age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we also talked about Native American mascots, I believe, oh. in respect to Chief Alinawick. Yeah, yeah. I remember there's some stuff going on there, and I really liked that conversation. And, and my mm -hmm. thoughts haven't really changed a whole lot on it. Um, and it's still the ongoing case at the University of Illinois. So, yeah. <laughs> But this podcast has lived to see the end of the Cleveland Indians. Instead, they're transitioning to become the Cleveland Guardians, which they are now and will be for the upcoming season, theoretically, in perpetuity. And isn't and the then, Washington Commanders now? Yes, Washington. Well, they haven't been the Redskins for several years. They've, They've just, just been, been the Washington, the Washington football, football team. team. Yeah. yeah, but they finally have announced the Washington Commanders. And I feel like they've been getting a lot of hate for the name and for the uniforms. I think it's kind of cool. Like, I, I like the uniforms. I think the name Commanders is like a very, you know, 
powerful name. It makes you think of like commander in chief, like it ties them to that community of DC. I, I think it works. Yeah, I, I, I'm fine with it. You know, <laughs> do it, mm-hmm. do with it as you will. <laughs> and then, of course, the episode title, Too Many Debaters, comes from the idea that this was our first episode where we talked about the democratic debates. Remember when I had the scorecard and I would kind of do the rankings of all the competitors who were left in the primary. And then it all all boiled down to, well, it's Biden. Biden won. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was also in the, I remember I did my rankings and I remember I put Biden in last. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. This was something where my, you know, my thinking of it changed a whole lot because my initial thinking was that um, Joe Biden was going to be like, if he became the nominee, that was only because he had just, you know, just barely enough institutional clout to get over the rest of the field um, and was going to be completely uninspiring and nobody was going to vote for him. And, you know, we we're going to have kind of a repeat of uh, 2016, but um, circumstances changed and that w- ended up being no longer the case. So, um, well, yeah. And also we, we didn't know yet what we eventually learned about negative partisanship and the power of just running against Trump being a huge boost to whoever would have been there. Yeah. 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 I mean, everything really changed when, when Biden won South Carolina by a landslide, that's like, that's when all the dynamics changed in the, mm-hmm. the race. Um, that changed everything. And it was crazy because I, I think in one of our earlier episodes that we just talked about, um, you know, we talked about the Iowa primary going first or the caucus. And, you know, there, there was a lot of discourse around the implications of Iowa going first. And is Iowa too white to go first to be representative and have this influence over the race and, and, you know, make or break candidates and all this kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, what ended up happening is that um, s- since uh, it ended up not mattering, you know, the yeah. <laughs> uh, for for the the primary for the 2020 election, it ended up not mattering Iowa and New Hampshire all that much. Um, mm-hmm. They were kind of a footnote to things. Um, so they ended up having that diminished <laughs> um, responsibility. You know, I think. I think the whole Iowa and New Hampshire strategy were born of a time where, um, uh, you know, presidential races weren't too, um, you know, they hadn't started the arms race of starting ever earlier and trying to schmooze it. So, you know, when Jimmy Carter wins Iowa, you know, one of the first years they do it and it's kind of a sleepy victory, but he gets his name out there because he was a nobody, then everyone's shocked. But now there's obsessive coverage of the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire Mm -hmm. primary. And we've heard about these candidates and they've already had five debates where they try to, you know, uh, differentiate themselves by a 0.5% difference. And and that's what and that's what this debate was. This this is what that debate was before anybody had dropped out. There were so many people on that damn stage. It was like and what was even the point? Just that that that's what I'm taking away going over this and how much content we got out of the Democratic primaries that primaries 
primary season is too fucking long, okay? It didn't produce anything. A lot of money was spent and wasted, ultimately, on things that did not matter. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, if you're a Democratic donor and you want to affect some change, be a little smarter with your money. Like... Yeah. Yeah. This is not the arena to do this. This is... It's not starting a moonshot campaign for Cory Booker. Like, I love Cory Booker, but, you know, and maybe he could have been the the one, but, you know, it, he just wasn't. And... <laughs> And a lot yeah, of people. How, how much money got funneled to Amy Klobuchar just for her to be like someone who was revealed to be like a bad person and lost face in the course of the election? You know, who is like, that one guy who was a billionaire who wasn't Bloomberg who got in the contest? Tom Steyer. Like Tom yeah, Steyer. Steyer. Yeah. Yeah. Where all that Tom Steyer money. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Could have gone. Yeah. And, uh, what, what could what could he have done? How many people could he have fed buying ad time for oh, his own campaign? He could have fueled a ton of, uh, you know, state and local campaigns. He could have used that money and cleaned up shop. But you know what's also probably the issue is that. There are not as many people coming to them and it's like, hey, I have this great plan with all this logistics to, you know, campaign for all these people and find them and and get them to run and win all these local offices. But there sure are a lot of people who will come up to, you know, a a big important person and be like, do you want a campaign for president? I can show you how to do that. Like, yeah. So, but there's a reason why the Koch brothers don't run for office themselves, right? These these mega Republican donors really have it figured out that if you invest in the small races, you start taking over the wheels of the process. You get on election boards and you get the power to appoint people to the court system. That's where power is had and yeah, unless guys like Bloomberg, like Steyer, like Andrew Yang wake up to that reality. Andrew we Yang. We have a lot of... <laughs> Man, oh my gosh. And this time in 2019, I would have thought Andrew Yang was a very sound political candidate. I have since soured on him. Um, I basically but, see him as a grifter. Yeah, I mean, that that's my thing, is that it's harder and harder not to see him as a grifter. Because... I I get that his Venture for America thing was probably a good idea, but since then it seems like his project has been Andrew Yang, and yeah. he writes books, and he says that the system is broken, but his solution isn't incremental change, it's donate to Andrew Yang, buy my math hat, you know, if, if his solutions require you, require you to buy something from him, it's probably more of a grift than a genuine call for reform. And I'll say, he liked to say he did the math. He never did the math. He did not do the math. Like, I read his freaking book about the war on normal people, where he's talking about all these things about automation, and he's citing, like, some statistics about other things and then he says well the robots are here they're coming nobody's gonna have a job next year and it's like where was the math for that you promised me you would do the math and you didn't do it well and you know what's even better his his diagnosis of a problem is 
the exact opposite problem that our society is facing right now. Like, <laughs> we could use some automation right now. <laughs> yeah, things would be running more smoothly. But again, you know, he did the math, or so he says. Yeah, he, he did it. You know, he he was just kind of cheesy, kind of down to earth, kind of awkward enough to to make us all believe that he was genuine. And maybe at the time he was, but since then... And there, si- there, there are definitely some things I like about him, and I do think there are ways that he has identified important issues with American society. And his biggest thing is his advocate, advocation for universal basic income, which I definitely support. But it seems like his desire is to be the guy who says those things rather than to be a small part of the institution that does those things. Yeah. It, you know, put it one way is that at this point, it seems like those ideas are a vehicle to elevate Andrew Yang and not Andrew Yang being a vehicle to elevate those ideas. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he was one of the debaters. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, they, they had him split originally on two stages because there was more than 20 of them. Yeah. So it was just dumb. In retrospect, it was dumb. Well, but we had to talk about it. It's what we did. Well, I remember in the 2016 primary, like this is pre-show, but they, they also had that in the Republican field, too. Yeah, like, yeah, that's like, true. Um, I remember, you know, they had the main debate stage where I think they had like 10 people. And then there was a bunch of other candidates who, came, you know, this was like your Michelle Bachman's, Mitt Ron, you know, Huckabee's and all that kind of stuff. And they had like a debate before that. And they were like, we call it the happy hour debate or, or something like that. that yeah. Like <laughs> early evening. So, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what primaries are like going forward. I mean, um, you know, will it just continue to be that the out party um fields massive can candidate fields um who knows who knows yeah who's to say who's to say um, yeah. Yeah. oh it's been we a gotta get time. the howard dean scream in here yeah like that's our other that's our thing it's Buttigieg, bojack horseman and the howard dean scream those yeah. are our things to take back the white house yeah! so uh what was uh number two evan <laughs> All right, so these these top two are both, I think, very strong episodes. And the, the, the number two, the runner-up, is episode 20, Why We Are Polarized, from March of 2020. So we talked a little bit. I, I discussed The Invisible Man and the idea of a positive side to Hollywood remakes. We also talked about the democratic primary, Joe, you, you had, uh, some, some segments on sleep and talking about the importance of sleep. And then the bulk of the book still believe that. <laughs> well, the, yeah, well, of course the, the bulk of the episode was about Ezra Klein's phenomenal book. Why we are polarized. We did more book reviews than movie reviews on this show. And I think, I think that's all right. Um, yeah, yeah, so why why we we basically broke down the entire book, the argument about what is accelerating partisan sorting and what implications that hold for democracy, and I still feel like this was one of the most eye-opening and insightful 
books about the state of the nation that I have read ever. Yeah. I mean, ta- I-, I mentioned earlier books that bring together vague thoughts and feelings and bring actual facts and arguments together. And that was this book. Like, just like we all kind of knew we were getting more polarized and, you know, we had all heard some theories and he put all the evidence together in like a masterful, you know, uh, he took multiple years out of his life to build all of the (laughs) ideas. Yeah. Um, Really, really masterful putting together. But, and you know, it's interesting listening to him now is that like, he'll occasionally say, you know, I wrote the book on polarization and I didn't believe in the conclusion of that book enough. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's something he said on a recent show was that we have, especially right now, like right this moment in February of 2022, we're at this weird place where the economic recovery has been pretty strong, but there's some inflation that people don't like. And we really have sort of two interpretations of how to view the overall economic picture that are strongly sorted along party lines. Democrats seem to believe that the economy is functioning well and we don't have to worry that much about inflation. Republicans seem to believe that because of inflation, we cannot take at face value any of the economic gains that we have made. But something that he notes is that when you look at survey data, people from both parties generally believe that their own pocketbook is doing okay but then the partisan divide comes when you ask them about how the overall state of the economy is doing democrats are optimistic whereas republicans are pessimistic and something he said on a recent show was that i really thought that as long as people's pocketbooks and their own bottom lines were okay it would overcome partisanship but that has not been the case when asking about the overall economic outlook for the country Yep. Yep. It's interesting. We do live in interesting times. Um, We'll see how it goes. I mean, we're still... The story is always unfolding. The story never ends. Um, You know, it just keeps going. Things roll into another. And who knows what things will look like in a year. Um, Sometimes you just get a cut to black and and then that's it. Yep. Yeah. Sopranos reference, not a spoiler, don't worry. Woke up this morning, got myself a gun. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that was a that was a great episode. Great book, highly recommend. Um The only time that we ever did a, a best of push, we pushed that episode. And yeah. it probably is my personal favorite episode that we've recorded. Yeah. It was it was good. Um and um, what was it I wanted to say? Yeah, just a phenomenal, phenomenal book. Um, highly recommend, highly recommend. And you know, what's crazy is how quickly when the book came out that it, you know, all this stuff had gone from like vague ideas to the Ezra Klein version of this, like immediately, like mm-hmm. once the book came out, there was like no more debating the top topic. Like <laughs> everyone e- said, yes, this is what's going on. This everyone was like, Hey, you put a lot of stuff together. This makes sense. This is, this is going to be our framework for looking at this from now on. <laughs> so it's crazy when a book can come out like that. 
Yeah. And then immediately buried by COVID. Well, yeah. So I think that's the, (laughs) like we, you know, you said earlier that what, like episode 21, 22, 23, somewhere in there was when we first talked about COVID. This was episode 20. So like just mere weeks before the pandemic happened, we were talking about this and, and, um, you know, had, and, you know, Ezra has said this basically that like, you know, had you talked to me before, even though I wrote the book on polarization, I would have thought a pandemic would somehow, you know, change that, but it didn't. And yeah. now I do have to say, I think it has to deal with a very specific person um, who was president at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> because, because if I look back now, a lot of leaders throughout the world, um, you know, who had specific responses to the pandemic, um, you know, if they were seen by the public as kind of like generally doing their best, um, then they got a modest bump and, you know, have continued to be reelected. Whereas Trump kind of like, if he had just played along 5% better, I, 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 (laughs) I bet he would be president right now. I bet you he would have been president right now. Um, because, there were just a few states where he had to win a slim, you know, the margins were extremely slim and you do just like, you know, 2% better electorally overall, he would have like won like handily. So um, it's crazy how it all shook out. Remember that? Remember that time period? Remember that doom (laughs) time when... (laughs) After the election and (laughs) I just doom scrolling all day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been a big thing to a change that I've made since this time is that I spend so much less time scrolling. I think part of having so many takes built up is that in 2019, I was just terminally on Twitter and I was just seeing all the takes and then processing my own takes. But through the help of, well, really Bo Burnham, I was able to see that that was not healthy. (laughs) And I've greatly reduced my social media and general takes consumption. And I think it's a positive change. I'll take the takes. I mean, I've still got takes, but my takes are lighthearted about Mr. Peanut Butter and Spaghetti Strainers now. Yeah, yeah, it's a different take game. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. I'm in the the happy game. Yeah, happy Gilmore. It, it, well, yeah, it it just you know, if anything, I remember from these last few years and even before that, it seems like outrage is like seen as kind of the most sacrosanct emotion that like that's the most genuine, and if. All of social media is just a play at sorting of like genuineness, then, you know, the best way to get there is through outrage. Mm-hmm. But if you're out- outraged at everything, then that's just not a. I mean, there's plenty to be outraged about, but if you're like actively seething at all times, that's just, that's just not a good state of being. That is corrosive for your soul. Yeah. Corrosive for your soul, corrosive for your health, like just in general, like, 
if you if you let yourself be so seething and rage, you know, you get increasing cortisol, which increases your insulin resistance. You could put on weight. You know, you just you just have all this stress in your body. No good. No good for you. Um, not to say you can't be mad about things or you can't think say think things are bad, but um, yeah, it's not a call for apathy. It's just that you can channel your desire for change into positive community building efforts instead of doom scrolling basically yeah yeah take the don't express your yeah take your what you want things to be don't express it through the negative vision try and express it through the positive vision you know so all right and what's number one evan Number one is an episode that is very personal to Adequately Informed. That would be episode number 39 from Kenosha, September of 2020. So if we recall, in September of 2020, Joe had not yet moved from Kenosha, Wisconsin to Galesburg, Illinois. And this is where a shooting of a man, Jacob Blake, by police officers caused a huge outcry in that city and across the nation because it happened just after, you know, the protests had not yet died down from the George Floyd murder. And although I think that definitely time has allowed us to see the ways in which the George Floyd and Jacob Blake cases are very importantly different, at the time, in that moment, it was just such a ripple of hurt in that community and you saw it unfold unfold firsthand and were able to tell us all about that. Yeah. And I was definitely enraged at that time. Um, but now that I've had the kind of looking back on things like Kenosha, you know, the, what crazy happened there, like, and what happened with a lot of this stuff was that, it seems to be in 2020, there were a lot of people out there who did peaceful, meaningful protests. And those were very valid and very powerful. And they're fighting for something. And, but then it seemingly ends up being that sometimes when you do those big protests, um, people who are antisocial will come and take that as an opportunity to come and just fuck some shit up. Like, an, you know, take an opportunity of raw emotion and just go and do some harm. And I remember we were so couched in, you know, because we believe in the message of the justice um, for the, you know, the person shot George Floyd and Jacob Blake um, and how it was a great injustice, what was done to them. That and then we believe so much in the protest, you know, I feel like at the time I kind of swept under the kind of like rioting that happened. Um, but I've kind of come back on that. It's like the protests were good. Protesting thing is great. Burning down buildings in, you know, because of that, not great. Um, and but you know, at the time I was so concerned about trying to make, you know, not, 
you know, um, give any credence to the people who believed that those weren't injustices, you know, the, the George Floyd and Jacob Blake incidents that I didn't want to like cede any ground to them, but, you know, looking back on it, you know, it's, you know, it changed my opinions a little bit on what happened now that I'm not in the like rage of what was of the injustice that happened. Yeah. It just, you got to remember too, I think that that episode really can stand as an important document of what that time felt like when it felt like every, every day there was just more gasoline poured onto a fire. We were in the middle of the pandemic. We were seeing these gruesome images every day of injustice. There was political cruelty, polarization, economic stagnation i you know you know that's a period of my life where i was unemployed had nothing going on and it was just brutal yeah every day and i think i i don't have a problem with you getting swept up in that at the time i think i think that is the honest reaction and it it's it's valuable to reflect now but I think it's that unfiltered, unvarnished take that resonated with people to make it our number one Mm. most popular episode of all time. I also think there was a glitch in people downloading it, but, you know, I'll take it. We don't worry about that. We don't question (laughs) where the numbers come from. (laughs) I mean, it is it's pretty significantly above number two. So even if there was a glitch, like it would have to be a pretty significant glitch like it. It. I'm I'm yeah. definitely comfortable saying it's our most popular episode full stop. Um so yeah, and I think that it's it's very unlike I think a lot of our episodes in many ways where so many of our episodes we really try to take a step back, work through the history of things. Unfortunately, my segment on the Paramount decree and it's important in uh, entertainment monopoly law did not make the top 10, but that's what I think of as <laughs> like we're, <laughs> we're really researching a topic and doing a deep dive. But I think it's also important to acknowledge our emotion and sometimes just speak with that. Just go with that. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely a, a, a heated, heated time. Um, so it's it's interesting to look back on now but and it's also interesting because like um this was a point chris hayes made was that like basically after kenosha um there was a realization kind of like in the trump camp or you know the that kind of sphere of things was there isn't really any juice left to be pulled out of the kind of like racial, you know, politics at that time, you know, heightening of it and even, you know, agitating for more. That was kind of like the, you know, after that happened, it was just such a crazy episode that a lot of that discourse like ramped down <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, kind of marked a turning point in the national discourse. The fever broke. Things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a very intense fever, but it it broke, (laughs) at least in that respect. In the discourse, yes. This is not to paper over any of the lasting injustices that have not changed since that summer. 
but merely to, again, reflect on the state of media coverage more than anything. Yeah. And I mean, you know, in the, as we, you know, look in retrospect, uh, Derek Chauvin, who killed George Floyd, has been convicted of murder. Mm -hmm. Um, Rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good thing that that happened. The Kenosha thing has been more complicated. Um, Jacob Blake ended up settling with um, the legal entities involved. Um, So we don't really quite know the details of that. The officer, I believe, is still serving or, you know, is not in jail, hasn't been convicted. Um, Mm -hmm. And And I think that's also based on that circumstance is probably also the right move. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it was complicated. Um, yes, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, and then and then Rittenhouse that that was that guy's gonna. <laughs> there was an Onion article where it was like Kyle Rittenhouse sentenced to eighty years of CPAC appearances and and, and <laughs> Fox News appearances. Oh, I didn't see that, but that's just so correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was also difficult um you know you know like we talked about before that kid showed up with an automatic weapon and then you or well a lethal weapon and then used it and uh, yeah that was a real weird time like i remember being there and um you know chitter chatter with my coworkers, and they're talking about like the kenosha militia and there's like this group of guys who all have guns and you know they they were going out there. We're not going to let these looters take our town or whatever. And yeah, there. Kyle Rittenhouse was not the only guy out there in Kenosha with an assault rifle, like ready mm-hmm. to use it. Um, there were a lot of guys out there, like standing in front of stores or in the trucks with with guns. It was it was a charged time. Yeah. So. Well, that was uh, the most downloaded episode. Um, so, Evan, what's uh, where do we go from here? That that was so, adequately informed. That's what we've done. Um, what's the future looking like? Well, I I want to take a little bit of time here to reflect. I think on what the show has meant to me and what it has meant to be a part of adequately informed for you know since 2019 and i think something very important that adequately informed has meant to me has been refinding my voice so time to take a little walk if the listeners are willing to go with me um i i when i was a younger kid like an actual kid i was very confident in my opinions i would just kind of say whatever i felt and you know i I was rewarded for that for the most part. And I did speech and debate and I was fairly successful and I would compete and win awards at the state and national level in college. And I I got a big sense of pride and a sense of worth and a sense of confidence in my own intelligence from that. And right around my junior year, it all started to fall apart. Um, I was serving in a leadership role on the team and things weren't going well. And I feel like part of that, a large part of that was sort of structural and outside of my control, but also I think my own 
immaturity started to surface in a way and it all culminated in myself and others actually uh quitting the team my senior year after essentially losing a power struggle with the head coach who we had big issues with and that's i think that really speaks more to him than to me but i think having that experience of something that i had for so long used as such a well of confidence having it go away and sort of not just vanish but kind of go down in flames really shook me Mm -hmm. and immediately after that i got knocked on my ass in grad school not so much by the coursework but from just constantly being rejected for assistantships or other types of jobs you know i for for this first time in my life i was really being told over and over again you know through through the end of undergraduate and then into grad school you know we don't want you we don't value you we don't need you to be a part of this team and i deeply internalized that and i shrunk back whereas a younger version of myself would have spoken out and i for a long time was really reticent to try and step up and be a leader in a lot of ways because important times when i had tried to do that it had not worked out and i didn't i felt like i really did lose my voice in there but being a part of this show and having the opportunity and having a platform to work collaboratively with someone who has valued my ideas and valued my voice and to find an audience that appreciates what I have to say has been just an overwhelmingly positive experience. And even though we never got the the viewership or listenership numbers that we dreamed, I think I got something much more valuable in starting to build my confidence back. And and it's been other things in my life, too, that have helped with that. Finding a job really helps your confidence after you've been unemployed for a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's yeah, like just one thing we've talked about before personally is that um, sometimes if you're in a rut, um, you know, everyone says work on yourself. It has to come from internal. Nope. A lot of times uh, <laughs> the way out is some external factor and yep. then you build off of that. Yeah. So I, I am grateful, Joe, to you for being my partner and adequately informed and helping me find my voice again. I think yeah, that has been so valuable to me. And I thank you for that. Oh, I think it's been good working with you too, man. Like this has been a good project. Um, and yeah, that's the just the second real, real personal vulnerable part that I want to say is that even more than that, and I think that that is something I will always treasure about this project. I think something even more valuable, Joe, has been the way that this project has kept us in each other's lives. Yeah. I think for 
for again going back to childhood i i kind of am someone who is very comfortable drifting between different groups of people uh, you know there are very few people from my early childhood who i still have any contact with and so we we were high school friends and you know i i it's not that i was trying to move on or do anything but i just kind of expected that we would be high school friends just, a, a, pretty much everyone from high school yeah but we kept in good contact through undergrad, and then when I moved to Champaign, we were roommates, and, you know, we have pretty much spoken every week since then. Whether or not it's been recorded, we have we have been able to maintain and deepen this friendship, and... It is one of the most meaningful relationships of my adult life. And I, you know, ending the show is going to change our relationship. It's inevitable that it will. But but it will not end. Right. And they won't. And I'm I I'm grateful for every minute of time that we have spent doing <laughs> this little show yeah. and I love you, Joe. I love you too, man. Yeah, I mean, this show has been, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, shit, we come in here, we talk for an hour and a half on the show. We generally talk for like an hour and a half before the show, and then we'll talk <laughs> for like an hour after the show. It's a big time commitment to do all this. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's because we're, we we have so much to talk about. And, I, you know, in some ways, I'm kind of glad we're... Uh, you know, uh, you hear some people who do creative projects together and they end because things soured. Um, this is not the case. Um, we're still very good friends and, um, we're still two dudes talking to each other. Um, <laughs> just won't be in podcast form anymore. Yeah. And it hasn't been at Wendy's in a while. Cause you know, we live in different States. But... Yeah. And I don't really eat Wendy's anymore. <laughs> um, I do. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been a good project together. Um, I mean, I'll say over the course of adequately informed, my life has also transformed a great deal. I don't know if it's necessarily because of the project, but it's, it's definitely been there in the background, you know, like just having this thing that I regularly do. Um, has been very valuable and it's been great to do it with you and it felt like our work meant something you know nah. like even if we didn't have a super big audience and we realized that the market for a general news and culture podcast is a lot bigger than just us um you know just the fact that we could come together and have a conversation and that some people close to us also thought that conversation is valuable. Yeah. I think that we got two things going on here. One is that it helped us learn how to produce things regularly, right? To stick to a production schedule and get content churned out at regular intervals. And then the second part is that yeah, I don't want to for one second say that just because we didn't have thousands of people listening that this was not valuable to some people. I know there are people who will be listening to this who have listened to every episode that we've ever done, and that matters. Yeah. It matters that for some people, we were a part 
of their news, information, and entertainment diet for the past several years. And I am grateful to everyone who made that a reality as well. Yeah. It's, uh, we're, we're just happy you guys enjoyed listening. Um, you know, the people who are listening right now, you're the real ones. Um, definitely. And we would not have gone this far if it weren't for you guys being dedicated and, you know, listening basically every episode we put out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it means a lot. It means a lot to know that, um, you guys valued us and, you know, we didn't want to leave you guys down, let you guys down with uh, what we were doing. And, you know, we wanted to put out a good project, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, uh, I, I doubt this is the last creative endeavor that we'll do together. I mean, Oh, no doubt. Yeah. So, um, but, um, if anything, this is, you know, while, while the podcast, you know, it, it hasn't become our full-time jobs or, um, ever even made a single penny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you measure success in different ways and this has definitely been deeply valuable in what we've learned, um, by doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and I will just say, I guess, I guess one thing that I have become a firm believer in since doing this and a lot of other things is that the best way to learn how to do something is by doing it. And it may not be great up front, but if you're truly interested in learning how to do something or even just doing it, then you just got to do it. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. You can sit around and agonize about thinking what the best thing in the ideal would be, but you got to just start taking some at bats. Even mistakes will teach you what not to do. Yeah. And if you just never produce anything, that is a surefire way to achieve stagnation. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you know, lots of great musicians, you go and listen to the, some of their early stuff. It's not super great. I mean, everyone who does creative work or any sort of work, your, your kind of initial stuff may be a dud. Um, and you may not feel happy with it and you may feel lost. Um, but, um, you really only learn by doing, um, you can sit back and like read all the books you want and all this kind of stuff. And it's great to be prepared, but, uh, that doesn't really mean that, you know, things, um, Mm -hmm. and this, uh, like, like I've said several times, this has been a great valuable exercise and, Um, definitely don't regret doing it. It has been a very positive force in our lives and at least in mine. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so now that we, but, but (laughs) what's next? All things change. And yes, we, we have grown in our own ways during this and we, we have different lives now and different projects. So for me, you can still find me educating the children of indiana first and foremost <laughs> and um also i yeah oh it is <laughs> um but yeah so i i still write for midwestern perspective and i would be very grateful if anyone is looking for it's more of my film television and pop culture commentary blog and i am 
I'm still writing on that from time to time. Also, if you think that you are going to miss listening to my voice, um, I actually have been doing a lot of work with another podcast, The Blanket Fortress of Solitude, and actually my debut on that podcast is dropping the same day as this episode. So if that's <laughs> not poetic justice, I don't know what is. The day adequately informed ends is the first time my voice is on Blanket Fort. Um, so yeah, you can hear me. The one that's coming out today is about, um, is actually a voice acting role, but you will later hear me talk about everything from Rick and Morty to The Simpsons. All right, I guess I'm going to talk about adult animated cartoons a lot, but that's all right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're um i i yeah derwin has been a a great collaborator that's his podcast derwin lester and um he's 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 gonna make sure that i'm not idle for too long (laughs) and then who knows i've got uh i've got some ideas for future podcasts as well and other creative projects um i also uh, co-produced a short documentary that has been submitted to regional film festivals. We'll see how Ooh. how that goes. So yeah, yeah. So um, this this is not the last you've heard about me, unless of course you just are done with me, everyone, and then you just don't have to interface with me anymore. But yeah, no. If if you if you want to continue to hear what I've got to say about things, I promise you still can. Yeah. What about That's you, awesome. Joe? Oh man, so I am um, I am quite busy here in um, Galesburg, Illinois. Um, catch me out there practicing politics. Um, someday I may want to start a, uh, a revival renaissance organization kind of for the city. Um, we'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, um, the main thing that I'm working on is my newsletter, Substack newsletter, Inland Nobody, um, where I write about Galesburg um, and what we can do to better this town and really turn things around. Um, it's a project I'm very excited about, and there's been a good amount of traction so far. So um, it really feels like we're at a turning point for this town. Um, and I'm very excited about that and being able to, um, put even more attention into that, um, is going to be great. Um, lots of books to read, you know, there's always so many books to read. So many books. You walk through Barnes and Noble and you're like, I could spend $10,000 here. Yeah. I, I could just buy all the books. And then next year, there'd be more books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't stop writing them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, as as a Galesburg expatriate, it is very exciting to see the work that Joe is doing through his newsletter and more importantly, through his actual attendance in city events and functions, trying to actually use politics for power and try to create a more positive vision of the town. And even if you don't have any connection to the city of Galesburg, I still highly recommend subscribing to his Substack. It's free for one. So you're not out anything. And um, it's just besides all the Galesburg specific stuff, there's a lot of really interesting and valuable insights about city planning and the effects of our public policy. And I think that if you have liked this show so far, that that newsletter is a slam dunk for you. Yeah, because, you know, I, I this 
podcast also helped learn that while both Evan and I have pretty generalized interests, um, trying to find that specific thing takes some time. Yeah. Um, and I am feeling very fortunate now that I have this specific thing to go and work towards. Um, and it's helped give me some purpose and makes me feel better in life. Um, you know, it, it's almost like a vocation or, or something similar to that. You know, it's, yeah. it's, um, not for any, you know, I'm, I'm not making any money from it or anything like that, but, but, you know, I, I just want my town to be able, you know, for, for everyone who lives here to be like proud that they live here. And I'm proud to live here, but um, that hasn't always been the case. And it's mm-hmm. not the case for a lot of people who live here. But we got a lot of good things going. Um, you know, 30,000 people don't just show up somewhere for no reason. Um, you know, we uh, we got something here. And, and <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to the future where Galesburg's growing and is a real model for things. And... and uh, you know, people from the outside really look at us with, you know, uh, respect and like, Hey, what's going on over there? Ooh, that's pretty cool. Let's go vacation in Galesburg. I don't know. Um, but we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I'm excited about it. And then also, again, like I said before, probably someday I'm going to write about, uh, nutrition and weight loss and all that stuff. Um, but we'll see. Um, that's a, big project and kind of out of my domain and um i know a lot but like the the confidence level that i need or the amount i need to know to be able to be confidently prescribing things um is way harder so or a much higher barrier so um we'll see you're still in the middle of that story yeah You'll, you'll get to the end someday and then you'll know what to do yeah, and then someday look out for my food truck. Um, you know, I've thought about it enough. It's not in any sort of works yet, but I don't know. Give it a year or two. I don't know. I might be selling <laughs> burgers. <laughs> yeah. So, but I um, love a good burger. Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna fry the fries in beef tallow, and it's gonna be great. They're gonna taste way better, and I'm gonna charge a premium price for them. i'm gonna price myself out of the market well you know having a fryer in a food truck that's kind of a lot of work and carrying all those fries you know it's kind of a volume food so you know i don't care if i sell too many fries but anyway gotcha gotcha. anyway anyway (laughs) anyway that we're getting off anyway 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 who's to say who's to say the future who's to um, say he's just some guy yeah, I'm just some guy. We got we got a um, limited amount of time to play these greatest hits. Let's go. Yeah. Um 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 just some guy. That's it. Um Yeah. Um So um I know not everyone out there is optimistic, but I things are looking good for these two guys here. Uh, myself and, yeah. and Evan and we hope that um through the coming you know, we we've had over the course of this episode, we've both grown or this show, we've grown a lot. Um, I was a different man at 4 p.m. Yeah. And so it's um, everyone out there is at different places in their own journeys. And 
Um, you won't know the full story until later and you can get a better look at things. So just keep going, just keep doing what you think is best. And maybe someday you'll be able to have the clarity of knowing what all it meant. Beautiful. I got nothing to add. (laughs) And we like to thank Anthony Hish for the music. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Hish. Um, and thank you again to uh, my brother, Walker Kelly, for designing the logo that has emblazoned our podcast for all 84 episodes. Yeah, it's been good. Um, and and just one last thanks for listening, guys. But anyway, my name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been adequately informed. Da-da-da-da.